All right, Eastside, how many of you are happy that God never shut the door on you? Like last song, man. Um, I thought a couple times this week he could have shut it on me, and so I was grateful for that. That was good stuff. Thanks for being here. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Or if you want to find that on your app, on your phone, that'd be great. We're going to look about, uh, at that a little bit later. Um, we're going to polish off that chapter. Uh, but before I do, I want, to, I want to do something a little different today as I uh, begin this sermon. Is I want to, I want to spend a couple of uh, heart issues with you. I want to talk with you a couple things about the heart. And uh, one of those, to begin with, I, I want to take a moment and I want to thank my church. I want to thank you for something. And I need to explain that for a little bit. And uh, this is a heart thing, okay? So I'm going to try to get through this without looking like a little baby, sissy, middle school girl. So here we go. When I was, uh, when I was a little young preacher, um, I, and I knew, I knew nothing about preaching at all. Man, it's crazy that somebody hired me to be the preacher when I was 19 years old. And so I knew nothing about nothing. And I came across an older preacher who had a little more skin in the game than I did. And uh, I, I started listening to his sermons. And I didn't know this guy from anybody in the world, but he'd been preaching for a while. And he was a great preacher. And so I just listen to his sermons every week, and he was my preacher. And some of y'all don't, some of y'all don't get that, that we preachers don't have a preacher. You got a preacher. We don't, we don't have preachers. And, and so I remember learning really early in life that, that I probably needed to have me a preacher. And so he became my preacher. And I remember I called him one time and I introduced myself out of the blue to him and said, man, I just want to learn from you. I'm a young guy. I don't know anything. And he said, absolutely, you need anything, I'll be there for you. And he started sending me his cassettes of his tapes from his sermons uh, every single week. Now, you young people are going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? But we old people know what I'm talking about, right? And so I'd get one of those every week in the mail, and I would listen to that on my little cassette player, and, and that was my preacher preaching to me. And I can remember today being struck, I mean struck as a young man, listening to this guy about the number of times that he had this ability to tackle really tough things. I mean, on the edge type stuff. And he did it with such grace and sensitivity. I mean, it was just captivating to me how you could deal with really hard stuff in a balance of grace and truth. And I'm, man, I was just blown away by that. He was my preacher. I'll never forget the day that one of the sermons came in the mail, and I opened up the package. I was always happy to look at it and see the title of it, and the title of it was, and I'm going to quote exactly the title of his sermon that week, The Sexual Needs of Every Man. Now, some of y'all going, oh, and I remember looking at it going, am I even supposed to listen to this thing? And I listened to it, and to this day, it was one of the most powerful presentations of purity and faithfulness to your wife that I have ever heard in all my life. And I remember just being struck by his ability to, 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 to hit the things that, that were on the edge, man. Because I'm, I'm telling you, 
Anybody can get up and just talk about the love of God, but, but to get on the edge stuff, man, that was big. And I remember when he preached that sermon, he started out by saying this. He thanked his church for being a place that allowed him to talk about the hard things. Now, I'm 19, 20 years old, and I'm hearing that, and I can remember praying God, would you, would you give me a church like that someday? Now, I don't know why I felt that this week. I probably felt it a few times. But I believe that God has answered that prayer of mine at Eastside Christian Church. And I want to thank you for being that type of a place. Over the last couple of years, we've dealt with some pretty tough things. We've been on the edge on a few things, and we've addressed some difficult topics. And in every one of them, you have been engaged, and you've been supportive, and you've been willing to learn. And I'm just telling you, not all preachers have churches like that. And I do not take lightly the blessing that you folks are to me in my life and my ministry. So God has chosen to be kind and Bless our church as a result of that. I really believe that. And because of that, I'll often get asked by other people, man, what is going on at Eastside? I had lunch with a gentleman yesterday afternoon, and he said to me, he goes, man, what is going on at Eastside Christian Church? And I'll tell you what I give them the answer to. I say, it comes down to this. We do not water down the truth at this church. We don't water it down, but we teach it in grace. And our church has embraced that. And so I entered this series, as I shared with you a couple weeks, a little nervous about it. I'm not much on dealing with the politics thing. You know the old adage, when you go to Thanksgiving, don't bring up religion or politics. Remember? You'll get in a fight. Well, we've been dealing with them both, okay? We brought them both here, and you have been incredibly supportive. Now, some of you red people have asked me to be a little more red. You know, you know, and some of you blue people have asked me to be a little more blue, but you've done it in tenderness and kindness and sensitivity and a spirit of love and passion to follow Jesus, and so can I start today, I know I'm taking time out of my sermon, but I want you to know how grateful I am for you. You are an incredible blessing to my life, so I applaud you, and let's all applaud the power of the Word of God. That is the heart and soul of our church. Now, let me share one more heart thing that kind of leads in to what we're going to talk about today as we wind down this series on the separation of church and hate. Um, I did not plan to do what I'm going to do. In fact, I said in the first week, I'm not doing this. And uh, some people have come to me and have begged me uh, to do this. But I made the comment that we will not promote a candidate we will not stand up on an issue. We're not going to do any of that during this series, and uh, we're ju it's just not going to happen here, and uh, we will never do that in our church. And I, I think I've had people who've respected it, but they've, they've tended to kind of say, can you give us something? Can you give us something as the pastor of our church and some leading on what we're facing in our country this year? So... Um, I want to I give you three pastoral encouragements about the election this year, okay? 
and um, you take them for what they're worth, but these come from my heart and what I believe the Spirit of God is calling us to do. And then when I'm done with that, we're going to preach about Philippians 2. I want to encourage you to do this first. I want to encourage you to vote freely. And here's what I mean by that. And, and again, I'm just, this is just me as your pastor sharing some things. I, I hear people saying things like this, man, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to vote. And I don't like either candidate. My vote don't count. And I get all that. I believe all that. But I'm telling you what, that the Bible calls us to be good citizens. And this is one way that we ought to be good citizens. And I think we owe it to the people. I think we owe it to the people who bought that right for us. Let me show you a picture of a guy that I think of almost every February. This is Sergeant, Sergeant Adam Ray. Every February I start thinking a little bit about Adam. His daddy was a preacher, a good buddy of mine. And they came from the church where I served in. So I knew Adam and his brothers and his sisters and watched them all grow up. And, of course, I know his dad is a, a preacher buddy of mine. And, and 14 years ago, Sergeant Ray is in Afghanistan. His responsibility is to train the Afghanistan soldiers on how to recognize IEDs that have been hidden into the, the terrain of the land, the explosives that would blow up. And while we were in training one day, one of the soldiers stepped on an IED and a piece of shrapnel shot out of it and hit Sergeant Ray right in the jugular in the throat, and he was immediately gone. It had been 14 years ago, and I kind of know that family. I remember Adam, loved Adam, such a, a ray of life and, and just a happy-go-lucky guy. And I look at a guy like that and I say, how in the world could I not vote? And you know people like that. And you have people in your life like that. And I think that's why the Bible says that you ought to be a good citizen where you're in. So if you want me to give you some encouragement about this election, here's what I would say. Vote freely, man. Vote. Vote freely. Now let me say this to you also. I want to encourage you to vote faithfully. And this one is a little, a little tougher. And God has called his people to be lights in a dark world. And that means that I want to take our light into the voting booth. And this might rub a little people wrong in some ways, but I honestly believe that we are to be his ambassadors when we vote. I believe our faith in Jesus is more important than our devotion to any party. And so my encouragement is that when you consider your role as a citizen over the next few months, that you choose Jesus over party. You vote faithfully. And then the most important thing I want to share with you before I preach is I want to encourage you to vote fearlessly. This is the most powerful thing that you and I have as Christians. On November 6th of this year, one day after the election, Regardless of who is sitting in the White House, God will still be on the throne. And we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to, as Christians, be, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? We have no fear because the greatest throne is occupied. Do you think God has ever seen the results of an election and said to himself, well, now we're sunk? You think God's ever said that? No, history is in the hands of the creator, 
and no one will ever change that. And so I encourage you to vote freely and vote faithfully and vote fearlessly. And that is the most you're going to get out of me for the election. Now, let's jump into Philippians 2. And let's see how Philippians 2 ends in this passage today because it's really, really cool how it leads to one strong, powerful point. And so what we've, been, what we've been doing in this chapter is we've been looking at the idea that God has called us as Christians to live different lives than the world lives. So that's the theme for three weeks that we wrestle it down here. And, and so if you've been here, you've been following along. We're living in a world right now of political tension. The temperature gets hotter and hotter every day. It's getting crazier and crazier. And the heartbeat of Philippians 2 says this to the children of God. The way they respond, the way they act, that ain't how we act. We are different. We are holy. We're separated from how the rest of the world acts. And so it is imperative for you and I as believers that what is happening in the world today does not become a draw to you and I, that we now act like they act. And so that's the heart of Philippians 2. And so Paul starts to work his way through the first half of this chapter that we've been looking at, and he's starting to show the things about us that are different than the world. So week one, it was this. Look at this real quick. We'll do a quick recap. He talked about the virtue of unity. While the world is separating, while it's dividing, while everybody's choosing camps, that's not me and you. We come together. We are unified under the cross of Jesus. I love that first sermon. I loved it. I wish we could have ended it right then and the Lord came back right there because the idea was what we have in Jesus is more important than anything that would divide us. So we all don't have to vote the same way. We all don't have to have the same opinions about things. We come together in the unity of Jesus. Powerful, powerful part of that chapter. And so once Paul assumes that, then he moves to the next virtue that we looked at last week, and that is humility. That the world is self-absorbed. The world is talking about, here's what I got going, here's what I think. And you and I, that's not who we are. Humility is the ability to look to somebody else and place their interest above our own. That's who we are. And so Philippians 2, as you know now, begins to create this idea, what are the virtues that are different between us and them? Unity, humility, and then watch this. The chapter that we're looking at in Philippians 2, the first half of it, it ends abruptly with one powerful point, and it's about priority. That what is important to the world is not what is important to us. And the primary drive of our life is not the primary drive of their life. 
And I want to show you how it comes up at the end of this second chapter in a way maybe that you've never seen. Now, let me be transparent with you a little bit and, uh, and share something with you. And you're going to think way less of me after I tell you all this, but you got what you got. So here we go. Um, <clears throat> I, I think if I had to sum up the first priority in my life, I mean, think about that. If somebody came to you right now and said, dude, what is the most important thing in your life? I think I got that figured out. I've had that figured out for a long, long time. And I I think it's the words of Jesus, man. I love God with everything that I've got, and I love people like I want them to love me. And those people that I love, that I want them to love me like I love, I, I think it's my family. And I think that is the heart and soul of who I am. That is the core of my being. And here's the deal. That ain't never going to change. It is never going to change. It is going to be the, the priority of my life until the day that I die. I'm absolutely confident with that. No problem at all. But here's what I've noticed is the devil knows he's not going to change that for me, but he will give minor interruptions to it. He will put me in settings where I will act in a way that is not consistent with my priority. Now, if you think about it, that probably happens to you too. And I want to tell you how that happened to me last night. And... And you're going to think I am the most silly, um, small-minded, immature, simple-headed person you've ever seen. But I'm going to be honest with you. So if you're part of Eastside, you know I'm a sports guy, okay? That's just who I am. My daddy raised me that way. I raised my boys that way. All my friends are sports guys. I'm just a sport guy. Basketball season has been a rough couple of years for me, and uh, I wish I could tell you that I've hung in there with my team, but my team is horrible, and I'm telling you, I know fans, if you're a true fan, you ought to stick through the thick and thin, and I, I just can't do it. I just can't watch them. I can't do it. It got so bad a couple weeks ago that I started watching and enjoying Guys running down the court with a big blue K on their jersey. And in one game, I remember catching myself going, what am I doing? And so the past couple of years, I've got caught up in my hometown a team back in Illinois, and they're kind of fun to watch, and they're pretty good. And so last night, I had option of watching all of our area teams or my old hometown team. So I watched my hometown team, and they're really good this year, and they were winning by 18 points with a few minutes to go, and I remember sitting there thinking, at least, at least somebody around here knows how to play basketball. And then the tables turned, and they blew it, and they lost by one point at the end, and my night was over. And my sweet wife was waiting on the game to get over with because there's a show she likes to watch with me. 
And so the show came on. It's a medical show, and it's all, you know, feely-feely stuff. And so we're watching it, and there's this little baby that needs a heart transplant. And, and they found this other little baby. They were going to take its heart out and put somebody else's heart in there and pull a transplant and pull a, a valve out of that heart and put it in his heart. And the parents were weeping, and attention was there. And I was thinking... Well, at least y'all probably got a basketball team. I ain't got a team. <laughs> Looking at my phone, and I don't know if you know, but the whole world's getting sick right now. So I'm getting text after text. Somebody's throwing up. Somebody's got a temperature. Somebody said, well, you know, um, you, life's hard for all of us, too. My own team just got beat. <laughs> I've been doing a thing for the last... Uh, three weeks that God led me to in a conference we went down to uh, recently with our team here, and I've been taking some some time at night all alone when I go to bed. I usually don't fall asleep real quick, and so I've been taking some time before I fall to bed, and God has led me into this arena of fighting spiritual warfare and prayer. And some things that he's had a stronghold on in my life and our church. And, and I've just been taking that to battle at night in prayer when I go to bed. And it's been some deep, powerful prayer fighting. And I went to bed last night. And because my basketball team lost, I said I'm in no mood to fighting. And so I woke up this morning after all that silliness last night and then the decision not to enter into warfare with our father. And I realized that what happened was a minor interruption of the priority of my life. And that's what Christians have to be careful with. It's not that God is not the single most important thing in your life. It's the times in which the enemy comes in and temporarily convinces you that something is now more important. And sometimes it's silly stuff that means nothing in the long scheme of things, like who won a ball game. And sometimes it's really serious stuff, and most of the time it's stuff in the middle. And for a little season of your life, you get caught up in the reality that the lordship of the creator God being the most important thing in your life at this moment is not the most important thing in your life. And we have to learn to guard against that. And so when you grab Philippians chapter two and you've went through this, this interesting process of here's what's different about us, unity and humility, and then he brings up this idea of priority. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see how he does it. I'm going to show it to you, and it's going to be like a light bulb that will come on to you. And my challenge is going to be for you to protect that in your life. So let me show you how he does it. He starts it in the ninth verse. And let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, therefore, would somebody in the house say the word therefore with me? Okay, some of you are with me. Some of you are, are, are in tomorrow already. Let's do it again. Therefore, okay. So when you find the word therefore, it's a stop sign in the Bible. It's saying, okay, what he just talked about, he's now going to connect something to it. 
And so he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now stop there for a second. You'll know from last week when he talked about humility. He said, let me tell you the greatest example of humility I know. And Paul said, it's Jesus. And he left heaven to come to earth. He died on this earth for the need that you and I have to be forgiven. He was the epitome of humility. And then verse 9 says, therefore, in other words, <coughs> excuse me, because of what Jesus did, God said, I'm going to bless you, Jesus. And what did he do to Jesus? He said, I'm going to give you a place that is higher in value and worth than anybody ever, ever to live. And you have a name that has more power than anybody ever. God said, I'm gonna give that to you because of your humility. So Jesus is now the goat, the greatest of all time in verse nine. Now watch this. And then the power of that comes in the 10th and 11th verse. Look at it. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what, here's what Paul is telling us. That because of what Jesus did, God exalted him. Watch this, friends, watch this. And there will come a day because Jesus is exalted that every person ever to live will bow before him and recognize who he is as the greatest of all time. And they will confess to him that you are the Lord, you are the Savior. Every person ever to live will do that. And the Bible talks about we all have an account. You will all have a moment after your death when you will have to give an account of your life. Not a person in this room will escape that meeting. Even if you don't believe it, you're going to be there. And here's what that verse says. Is that at that accounting, please don't miss this, every single person will bow before him and recognize him to be the God of gods, the creator and savior of the world. Every single person will do that. Now when you think about that, you can think of some people in your life and you can see that happening. I mean, think about people that aren't here anymore that you know lived for the Lord. They loved the Lord, and they had their moment where they bowed before him. You are the Lord of my life. I'm honored and humbled to bow before you, and they have experienced that. Have you ever met anybody who was in the path of dying, and they knew they were in that? And they longed to be there, to be able to profess to him their love for him. You ever met anybody like that? 
And if they're close to you, you're dealing with the grief that you're going to lose this person, and it's tearing you up. But have you ever met anybody like that who is almost giddy about the day getting here? Because they can't wait to be able to bow before him. That's what that verse says. Every single person that will happen to. And for you and I, we hear that and we go, man, that makes sense. I get all that. I understand that. But here's the secret behind the door. What about the rascals? You know who I'm talking about. What about the people we've known in our life who've never shown any interest in the things of God? Can I be so bold as to say this? Because I don't know everybody in the room. What if there's some people in this room right now who you've never given one minute of focus of God in your life? What about the people who have rejected him, who've stood against him? Paul's words seem to indicate that even they will stand before him in their moment of account and they will bow down in worship and homage of him. Even they. And so when you think about that, you start wondering, does that mean that everybody, everybody will stand in honor of who Jesus is and recognize who he is and entrance into heaven. Is that what that means? Because it says everybody. Here's the secret of Philippians 2. This is what I want you to hear before you go home. There are places in the Bible, in the New Testament, where New Testament writers are writing and they borrow a thought or a phrase or, or some teaching, they borrow it from the Old Testament and they bring it in here and they requote it. And what happened in the end of Philippians 2 is exactly that. That the Apostle Paul, when he talked about everybody bowing before him, he borrowed that from Isaiah who wrote it 650 years earlier. And when you go back to how Isaiah wrote it, Isaiah describes something that is very important to know. Let me take you back to that text. It's in Isaiah chapter 45, and it says this. Before me every knee will bow. Does that sound familiar? By me every tongue will swear. Sound familiar? They will say to me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. Now keep it right here for a second. Everybody is going to do that. But look what Isaiah says as he describes who these people are. Next slide. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. What Isaiah is saying is that all people will stand before the Father someday and will bow in homage to Jesus Christ 
and some will do so in joy because of the impending heavenly experience that is waiting them, and some will do in shame. Let me tell you what the word shame is. The word shame in the Hebrew language here is the internal embarrassment that you feel when you realize all of a sudden that you were wrong. And in shame, I learn that it's too late. So we end up with Philippians 2 teaching us this concept, that all of us will appear and all will bow and some will do so in joy and some will do so in shame. And the difference is who your priority was while you were here. And so Philippians 2 ends with this concept that we are different than them. We don't act like the world. We are unique. What is unique about us is that we protect our priority. That God is loved as the central being in all of the world. He is the first order of priority in my life, number one. And we guard against the times in which we are tempted to break into that. Because sometimes it's silly stuff like your ball team lost. And sometimes it's big stuff because you got so caught up in work or your kids or some other aspect that Jesus and his work and his church got put down below everything else. Watch that, guard that, so that at the end of the day, when you bow, because all you will bow with joy, make sure you don't bow in shame. Susan and I were visiting her mother a couple months ago at a at a long-term care facility, and we were walking in there, and she's been there so long, we kind of got to know the other residents. And so you kind of see when people are missing, and maybe somebody's new there, and in the facility that she's in, m many of them are, are healthy physically for the most part. Their minds are just, they're just gone. And so we, we were walking in, and I noticed a, a guy there, a resident there I hadn't seen before, and I said, who is that? And she said, well, he's, he's new here. And I'm just going to call him Bill. And uh, I looked over, and, and Bill was on the, on the ground. And he was, he was on all fours. He was literally on the ground. And I said, did he fall? Did somebody? And they said, no, he, he does that a lot. He'll walk around, and he'll just go. He'll crawl for a while, and he'll be on the floor. And I said, oh, my goodness. What's? They said, it's just what he does. And so Susan said, sneak into his room and look above his bed. 
And so I went over into the room where they said he stayed, and I went in there, and they had this great big plaque above his bed. And it was this giant newspaper article from a number of years ago that was honoring him and the town that he came from for 40 years of being the president of the central bank there and all the wonderful things he had done for the community. The guy was an incredible genius and just a monster of a, of a supportive person in the community. And, and he was that guy. And, and now he's crawling on all fours in a nursing home. I, I went over to him once I learned who he was and I said, um, hey, Bill. And he just kind of, you know, was totally non-communicative. And I tried to get some movement out of him and nothing. And finally he stood up and, and he walked over to me and he, he got real close to me because I found out he was almost nearly blind. And he got real close to me and I, I said, hey, Bill, I'm Dave. And he just, he just couldn't say anything. And then I said to him, hey, you think those interest rates are going to come down any? And he said, yeah, yeah, I think, I think they will. I think, I think they're going to. And I said, has it been a busy day at the bank? Oh, yeah, yeah, real busy, real busy. I said, are you making money? He said, oh, yeah, making money, making money. And we began to talk as if he were working at the bank that day. And what struck me is the thing that had his heart for his whole life was still there. I remember walking through one of those places one time and I saw over in the corner sitting in a chair, Calvin Williams. Calvin was a buddy of mine for about a decade. A generation older than me, and so he's kind of a mentor of mine, but man, he loved Jesus, and he was, a, he was a, a powerful man in the church of God, and just loved the church, and was a powerful, powerful guy. I hadn't seen him for a while. I'm walking through this, I didn't know, I didn't know Calvin was a resident here, and I went over, Calvin, man, how you doing? And he, he looked at me with those eyes that were just kind of right through me, and I knew then he was, he was gone. I said, Calvin, how you doing? And he just, uh, kind of grunted, and I said, man, it's good to see you, and he just kind of had no interest, and, and I said, I'm Dave, man, I'm Dave Hastings, and, and I said, Calvin, I'm, I'm still preaching, and he said, you preaching? I said, yeah. Are you preaching about Jesus? I said, yeah. He said, keep preaching about Jesus, and that which had grabbed his heart his whole life was still there. Would you guard that? Would you guard your priority that God is the single most important thing in your life so that when your day comes, you will bow in joy and not shame? Father, I am... I thank you for people who love you, who've come out to be a part of this today. And Lord, you know the world we live in, and it's so distracting, and we get caught up in so many crazy, silly things, and
so many things on our list to do and how are we going to get everything done? Would you help us to see those as tactics many times of the enemy to get our focus off the only priority that really matters? And so my prayer is that today, as a result of this message, that there will be people who will come back now. They will come back to their priority. They will relive their priority. They will be seated again. Would you call them to that? Would eyes be opened in this room right now in a way that people may not have any idea in the world when they came tonight that that would happen to them? but they realize that I've got to get right with the Father. Lord, those of us who by your grace are there long for that day. We long for that day where we will gladly bend the knee and honor the one who gave his life for us. Until then, please strengthen us to be faithful. And to hold you in your soul, rightful place. And I pray that today in the name of Jesus. Amen.